Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week on the Chicago Bears Review. Part two of our NFC North preview is of a team that may not be the biggest rival to the Bears, but is certainly one that is heavily disliked by our host, the Motor City Kitties themselves, the Detroit Lions. Will the Lions get back to the postseason, or are they one and done again? Jeremy Reisman of SB Nation's Pride of Detroit joins us on the next NFC North preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. Number 12 out of 14. We are approaching the finish line with each and every show. And here we are in our home division once again. What's going on, everybody? Hilarity back for part two of our NFC North preview of the Chicago Bears review. And, uh, you know, of our three NFC North teams that we're going to be talking about, this is definitely the one that um, I don't want to say I hate them the most. I definitely hate losing to them the most and I, I still think that's some carryover from the Jim Schwartz days and what a douchebag that guy was even when he wasn't playing the Bears I just heavily disliked him and the Lions and the way they played football when he was their head coach especially uh, against the Bears so that's where a lot of the dislike comes from the funny thing is and I think I mentioned this last time when we had Chris on the show is that despite these be, these guys being the ones that we face twice a year that we you know definitely hate losing to these teams I love talking to these guys, and Jeremy is definitely high up on that list. Uh, even Chris and, and Evan, who we're going to be talking to on Saturday uh, to wrap up the NFC North, you know, definitely enjoy having these guys on. It worked out well for me because these are the guys that I have on the show at least three times a year um, because we play them twice in, in division play and, and once in, during these opponent uh, preview episodes, and I really enjoy talking to them. And you guys get a taste of that at the end of the interview with me and uh, Jeremy, because uh, we're definitely not talking about football uh, towards the end there. We're talking about uniforms and all kinds of crazy things there uh, towards the end of it. So, uh, but it's uh, it's still you know a lot of fun uh, talking to Jeremy. I enjoy having him uh, uh, on the show, despite the fact that he happens to root for my least favorite uh, NFC North team. So, um, so here we are. You know, like I said, we got uh, Evan Western to help us close up uh, shop on the NFC North with the Green Bay Packers, and we'll be talking to him on Saturday afternoon. So that show could definitely be up by Saturday night um, at the latest, I think, or definitely Sunday for sure, uh, depending on how uh, how my weekend uh, goes. But, um, you know, looking forward to talking to him to wrap it up. And then we got Lauren Cox next Tuesday uh, to do our All Bears uh, show. And, um you know, I, I've, I thought about searching around, but I definitely wanted to have somebody on the show that could give a differing opinion, you know, or opposing opinion to mine on the fact that, you know, not happy about the Bears drafting a quarterback, very vocal 
uh, about that. Uh, that's the one thing I probably uh, beaten into the ground. It was like last year, my theme was no matter what I talked about, either I talked about that stupid 49er game. I just could not let that game go. Or I, you know, I definitely asked everybody about the color rush uniforms last year. This year, it's more about uh, letting everybody know that I've had on the show how unhappy I was, A, with the offseason, and B, definitely with the draft uh, that the Bears had going into this all-important season uh, for the regime. You know, maybe not so much for um, Ryan Pace because he has had far more successes than he has failures in this one, but uh, for an important year going into year three for, for John Fox, um, the Bears needed to move the needle as far as the talent level on this team. And I think that we've added a lot of quality depth. So, you know, maybe that will help us throughout the season. But as far as going out and getting the impact players that we needed, we definitely did not do that uh, this year. I mean, all the way through the free agency and into the draft, these guys might end up making an impact, but they weren't the, the people that we were, you know, salivating over going into free agency or the draft. So, Anyway, um, yeah, we do talk about that uh, a bit, and um, we do mention uniforms uh, at the end. We talk about that towards the end of the uh, interview when we talk about the, the Lions. They got new unis this year and, uh, and everything. And um, really only one topic of discussion that I wanted to bring forth. I've seen this bounce back and forth on some of the uh, uh, um, groups and stuff that I'm a part of on, on Facebook. And um, Dan Hampton... I don't know if it was an interview that he did on the radio or if it was a print thing or maybe it was NFL Network. I'm not sure where it was. Uh, I don't remember. But he made the comment that um, if Jay Cutler was quarterback of the Bears during the the Bears prime days in the, the mid to late 80s, that 84 to 88 period where... You know, obviously we won the Super Bowl in 85. We played in three NFC championship games. Um, You know, we lost some games we definitely could have won. And he thinks that the Bears could have won four Super Bowls if Jay Cutler was the quarter, at least four. And honestly, I don't see why everybody is so, why no one agrees with that. Honestly, I don't see why. You have to look at the team as a whole. Like, remove what you know about Jay Cutler because what we know about Jay Cutler is that he doesn't do well under pressure. He can make errant throws and make bad decisions. Here's the thing. If he is the quarterback on that football team, number one, he has the best offensive line in football. He has the greatest running back of all time, coupled with some of the some of the best defenses to ever see. I mean, he is that basically that is what we wanted Jay Cutler, you know, like we wanted to plug Jay Cutler into that situation. We wanted the, the defense that we had with Briggs and Erlacher and Gunlier, Tommy Harris and all that that we brought him into in 09, but we just brought him an completely incomplete offense. If you think about what the Bears had back in the 80s with Willie Galt, you had Emery Moorhead and, and James Thornton there towards the end, you know, Walter Payton and even Neil Anderson uh, in 87 and 88, um, you know, <laughs> we had the number one rushing attack in football because of Walter Payton and carried that through even with... Uh, with Neil Anderson and, you know, the defensive talent that we had, even after Buddy Ryan left, we still had one of the best defensive teams in football year in and year out. How could you say that Jay Cutler would do worse than what we did with the inconsistency? We had, you know, Doug Flutie in there. Jim McMahon couldn't stay healthy. Mike Tomzak ran hot and cold, uh, you know, um, 
Fuller was, the, you know, the backup quarterback in 85, uh, you know, and even into the early days of, of Jim Harbaugh in 87 and 88 there, uh, if, if, if Cutler was the quarterback, you know, he basically would have had close to none of the problems that he had in Chicago because of the offensive line that he had, because of the support that he had in the run game and the, you know, the track star that he had on the outside uh, in Willie Galt and, and, you know, Dennis McKinnon, Dennis Gentry, those teams were loaded, you know, put Jay Cutler on that team. There's no way the Bears don't win multiple Super Bowls and they're the team of the 80s instead of the 49ers. I mean, it also gets, it's kind of baffled me to think about how people just automatically dismiss it because, well, Jay Cutler, he's an interception machine. Jay was an interception machine. He definitely did have some decision problems. That's for sure. But a lot of those decisions came off the fact that he was trying to make something out of nothing. And he would have been on the elite team in the NFL because despite the, their, the results of the seasons year in and year out, the Bears had the best team in football from like 85 through 88. You know, they went 15 and 1 in 85, 14 and 2 in 86. They were 11 and 4 in the strike sorting season of 87, 12 and 4 again in 88. I mean, did they lose 10 games? I mean, I, I think they, that's 11. 12 and 4, 11 and 4, that's 8, plus 2 in 86 and 1 in 85. They lost 11 games in four years. Okay, we've lost 23 in the last two. So, you know, Jay definitely would have helped the Bears be a whole lot better on offense or at least a lot more explosive uh, with his arm. And the fact that the guy is, you know, he was healthier a hell of a lot more than he wasn't a lot healthier than Jim McMahon was back in those days. That's for sure. And he's a better quarterback than Tom Zach or Jim Harbaugh were back in those days. I mean, if you plug Jay Cutler into that situation, it's 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 a no-brainer. I mean, I definitely agree with what Hampton had to say. And you guys know how I feel about Jay Cutler. You know, it's just that uh, I feel it, it, Jay, it's a very unfortunate situation that happened with Jay. You know, I mean, granted, he's not a, an, an elite NFL quarterback. The situation has to be just right. I mean, that's what we learned over the time that we had him here. You know, was that, um, you know, he has to have an offensive line that's going to block for him. He's got to have help on the outside. He's not going to be able to be like a a Brady or a Breeze or somebody like that can play with anybody with any offensive line. Even if he's struggling, he can still make it happen, so on and so forth. The situation has to be just right. And if he was playing for the Bears in the late 80s with those teams, with those defense and that offense surrounding him, that would be just right for him. He wouldn't be constantly throwing the ball off his heels he wouldn't be you know having people breathing down his neck he'd have a running game where people would have to automatically back off uh you know they would automatically have to respect play action because of the running situation that we had back then i mean am i convincing you guys because you know that would have been a perfect situation where jay cutler would basically be able to do no wrong you know the only interceptions that jay would throw is if he if he made a bad throw or, you know, granted, if he made a bad decision, because he made plenty of those. But as you saw over time, especially under um, Adam Gase, and and uh, even last year with Dole Loggins, the, the interceptions that he threw, um, especially in 2015 under Gase, the, the interceptions that he threw, there were very, very few of those that were like, Jesus Christ, Jay, what were you thinking there, man? I mean, there were a few of those last year when he was really... He was trying to make something happen, and he really shouldn't have done it, and so on and so forth. But in 2015, he had he had his best year 
ever as far as being efficient and being, you know, cutting down big time on the mistakes and, and all the rest of that stuff. You know, if you put him in the perfect situation, which would literally be those teams in the 80s, he would have been lights out. He would have been he would have been a champion for sure. You know, it's like if you got to look at it from that way, you have to forget everything, you know, or everything you've seen about Jay Cutler and think about that situation and putting him in that situation. If like, you mean, think about 2013, think about 2013 when our offensive line was one of the best in football. It was healthy for all 16 games. Okay. He had some stupid mistakes early on, but it was still one of his best seasons ever throwing the football because the offensive line was, you know, protecting him. Matt Forte was having a good season running the football uh, and, and so on. It's like, obviously Josh McCown was a bit more efficient in his time as a starter, didn't throw as many interceptions, but Jay still had a fantastic year when he was healthy, when he was healthy and playing Jay Cutler was lights out in 2013. Think about what it would have been like when he had the best of everything surrounding him in, uh, you know, w- with the bears, you know, with the outside receivers that he had had good tight ends, fantastic, the best offensive line, and obviously having sweetness behind him. Uh, and then Neil Anderson, who was a, you know, a very underrated player as far as the history of the Chicago bears is concerned. Um, better than Matt Forte, in my opinion. And I love Matt Forte, but Anderson was better than him. Um, you know, you plug Jay Cutler into that situation. That's how you have to look at it. That's how you have to look at it. Jay Cutler is one of those guys that has to be put into a perfect situation. And that team would have been it. I don't know how well he and Mike Ditka would have gotten along. That's for sure. That would be interesting to see those two guys, you know, Jay Cutler with his attitude now and, and the way Dut- Ditka was pre heart attack in the eighties. Forget about it, man. Forget it. But uh, that would have definitely been interesting to uh, to watch. Because <laughs> definitely, he did not play for anybody, at least in 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 the public or anyway. The Jay Cutler did not play with anybody who was going to jump down his shorts the way that Ditka would have right there on the sidelines if he made a mistake. So that would have been interesting to watch. Jay Cutler be coached by Mike Ditka of the '80s uh, pre heart attack. That would <laughs> that would have been something to uh, witness. But you know. That's how you have to look at it. And that's def- that's definitely what Dan Hampton is thinking, is that if you plug Jay Cutler into that situation, his arm and his talents uh, surrounded by that offensive line, that running game, and that defense to, you know, keep the other team honest, you know, it's it's uh, that is a scary, scary football team. That is for sure. So I just wanted to share my two cents on that one because I definitely agree uh, with Danimal on that one. There's, there's absolutely four Super Bowls, I think, would be, you know, from 85 to, to 88, stop them from winning all four of those seasons. Because they went to, they won the Super Bowl in 85. They were 14-2 and two in 86, lost to the Redskins, who won the Super Bowl that year. And then in 87, they lost to the Redskins, who lost to, no, actually, I'm sorry, the Redskins lost to the Giants in the NFC Championship game and then won the year Super Bowl in 87 the year after and then in 88 we're back in the nfc championship game against the uh 49ers and quarterback play was a huge reason why we lost that game as well so you know you add jay cutler into the mix with those teams you know we're 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 up there with the we're up there with the uh the steelers and the cowboys as far as how many lombardi trophies we have in our trophy case instead of the one that we keep talking about from 30 something years ago so um, that's definitely how I think that Dan was, uh, was approaching that or his mentality behind it was to, you know, because so many people are like, dude, we would have lost their Super Bowls. Like, no, no, we'd have won. We'd have won many, many, multiple championships for sure. 
Um, that I, I have no doubt that they, I believe Dan Hampton is correct. 100%. If, if Jay was put into that situation, you throw that quarterback in there with those guys, it's an absolute nightmare for the rest of the NFL. So that's where I think he was coming from. And then if that it is, and then I definitely, definitely agree 100%. So anyway, that is going to wrap up my little news and notes section. Go ahead and dive into this conversation between myself and Jeremy Reisman as we talk about the the, the Detroit Lions 2016, 2017, and beyond. Part number two of our NFC North preview takes us to Detroit and um, bring in one of our, my favorite guests, I should say, um, despite his allegiances, uh, Jeremy Reisman from Pride of Detroit and SB Nation. Jeremy, welcome back to the show, man. Thanks for having me, Larry. Always good to, to hear from you. You know, I'm going to go ahead and bring this up. You and I, we, we interact quite a bit uh, on Twitter, and I sent out a tweet to you, Chris Gates, uh, and Evan Western because you're, you are my NFC North guys. And it was a question that was laid out to all three of you. And you were the only one that got back to me before the draft. And my question was, as basically as enemies of the Bears, who do you want the Bears to draft with our top pick? You know, like, who would you be happy to see the Bears take? As opposed to, like, basically, what's the last thing that you think the Bears should do? Is basically the question I was asking. And your response was... I believe it was any quarterback on the board. I think, yeah. I don't even think it was that many words. I just think it was like any quarterback, I think, was your response. You know? So here we are. We fast forward maybe five hours later to the draft itself. The Bears trade up from three to two. I think we're taking Solomon Thomas, uh, arguably the best defensive player outside. That isn't Miles Garrett um, in the draft. And Commissioner comes to the podium, and he announces Mitch Trubisky. And uh, after my hair started, stopped burning, I should say, um, I responded to you, wish effing granted, um, because I couldn't believe it, that that actually happened. So tell me, Jeremy, why did you say any quarterback in your answer to that question? Oh, I I said it as a joke. I didn't think in any (laughs) possible reality it was actually going to happen. I mean, the the Bears were already kind of the laughing stock after they gave Mike Lennon the contract they they gave him. Sure. And I mean to me the only like the follow-up joke of of signing Mike Lennon was drafting a quarterback with their first overall pick. Okay. And then it became even funnier to me when they traded up to get it too. So like <laughs> oh man, that draft started out so happy for me. I I know I'm I'm kind of feeding on your tears a little bit here, but yeah. well. I I don't know if I'd ever laughed that hard during an NFL draft before. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, you know, the only thing that gave me any kind of comfort, even in that moment of total despair on my part, just because I could not, I was in utter shock that the Bears did that. I just could not believe it. And then simultaneously, I became the most popular person on the planet when that happened because my dad called my best friend called I started getting text message after text message uh-huh. from people basically asking to see if, if I had thrown myself off a bridge or something like that because <laughs> they knew that's the last thing that I wanted the Bears to do and 
Um, the only thing that gave me comfort was the live shot of the draft party taking place in Soldier yes. Field yes. with basically every other Bear fan just as pissed off as I was. Like, no one could believe the Bears did that. And that, um, was, that was maybe one of my most popular tweets from the Pride of Detroit account. I took a video of that, of just like fans screaming, a quarterback, yeah. a quarterback, probably got like 700 retweets that day. Nice, nice. <laughs> so, so a lot of activity on the account that day. That's nice. But yeah, so, you know, just wanted to, to talk to you about it because we never really had a chance to go back and forth on, on why, why you said that. But, um, you know, it's... And, and and now to find out months later that you meant it as a joke is even funnier <laughs> than you know than you actually meaning that you wanted the Bears to take a quarterback uh, as uh, as their top choice uh, in the draft. So um, and and don't get me wrong, like Mitch Trubisky, he could certainly turn out to be the the bright pick there. Of course, yeah. If if you want your your franchise quarterback, you got to go out and get him. It just the series of events though, just like. Mike Glennon, trade up, Mitch Trubisky is just, I don't know, it's just high comedy to me. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely uh, I definitely agree with you because uh, I, uh, you know, and I know that, that half the people listening to this are pissed off right now because I, here I am bitching about the draft again, and it just, it's going to keep <laughs> happening. It really is. Just, just, just buckle in because that's, that's all I got cause, but, um, until, well, for, until I'm proven wrong. It's, it's, Go Just ahead. free to take any shots at the at the Lions during this podcast in uh, in well, retaliation. Yeah. You know, we'll we'll get we'll get to that. Um, you know, we've we've got uh, you know we've got stuff to talk about for the Lions, but um, you know that is in fact why you're here to talk about the Lions, uh, <laughs> as opposed to helping me complain about the draft some more and and what a what a terrible off season I think the Bears had. Um, but um, yeah, so 2016 uh, for the Lions. Um, the, the, the pattern that the Lions have had over the years is uh, that basically they never do the same thing twice as far as their finishing record <laughs> is concerned. Because 2014, you win 11 games, you know, you almost take the division, you go to the playoffs. 2015, was it six or seven games in 2015? I think it was seven, yeah. Seven, okay. Yeah. Then 2016, you come back, you're nine and seven, you're back in the playoffs. So, you know, probably not looking forward to what's, as far as history is concerned, says is going to happen uh, in 2017. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that uh, in a minute. But 2016, in a nutshell, actually kind of looked like it was going to be 2015 all over again. You get that first win of the season in a shootout with the Colts week one and then follow that up by a three-game losing streak, including your first loss to the Bears since, what, 2012, 2013? Yeah, I think it had been six contests, I think. So, yeah, yeah about three three years, or three or four years. Yeah, and thanks to uh, your old buddy Jim Schwartz, there was no team in the world I hated losing to more than Detroit. So the fact that we finally <laughs> broke a three-season sweep streak, finally, you know, was really happy to, to finally see that. But, uh, you know, they bounced back, three straight wins over Philly, the Rams, and the Redskins. You know, and it, it seemed like after that loss to the Bears – you know, you definitely started playing a lot better football. That's around the time they basically fired the entire coaching staff, right? Uh, that was actually the year before. Oh, that was last year. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, the, the Bears were definitely the Lions' rock bottom last year. And <laughs> uh, I'm not sure exactly what how the switch was flipped there, 
But uh, the Lions just became like a fourth quarter comeback machine after right, that, and right. I think they rallied off wins in seven of the next eight. Yeah, so it was, it was three in a row after the loss to the Bears, then a loss on the road to the Texans, and then five in a row, uh, and the last win being against the Bears. And then that part of the season is probably what you don't want to talk about, but that's where, <laughs> you know, that's kind of where it, it all kind of fell off for the mm-hmm. for the Lions because you win that game at Chicago, or at, you're at, at home this time, against Chicago, another fourth quarter comeback or basically you had to do something in the fourth quarter to seal the win because that one did kind of come down to the wire and then you're at the Giants at the Cowboys home for Green Bay in the final and it basically if you win any one of those games you probably win the division yep yeah and unfortunately all three of those the loss at Detroit or excuse me loss at the Giants loss at uh Dallas and then home for Green Bay, another tight one, 31-24. You lose that as well. So what, what happened? I mean, granted, all three of those teams were in the playoffs, so it's not like you blew a game to the Jaguars in order to, to kill your, your postseason hopes or your chances of winning the division. But what exactly went wrong in those three games? Was it the level of competition and the, they couldn't meet it, or were there things that went sideways in those games? There are a multitude of things that happened at the end of the year there. And one is, as you brought up, it was kind of a higher level of play that the Lions weren't accustomed to during the 2016 season. Their schedule, looking back, was actually quite easy during those first 10 or so games. Um, So I think fans were looking at those final three games, you know, well ahead of it and be like, okay, well, this is where we're really going to see what the Lions are made of. And then they go drop three straight and then lose in the first round of the Seahawks. Yeah. But... There are some other kind of interesting factors to, to think about. Matthew Stafford in that Bears game ended up hitting his finger on, uh, I don't remember whose helmet, someone's helmet on, on the Bears defense there, mm-hmm. was wearing a, a splint for the rest of the season. Right. Clearly, And he clearly wasn't as good as he was during you know his MVP run before then. Mm-hmm. Um, also, there were a fair share of other injuries. Um, line starting center. Travis Swanson was out with a concussion for the final four weeks of the season. Um, Amir Abdullah, who had already, you know, he was already gone for the entire season. Lions backup, theoretic missed, I think, the final two games, maybe final three games of the season. So that offense, which had really carried the entire team, was missing some key parts as mm-hmm. well as Stafford's, you know, very key injury to his uh, throwing hand. Right. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I mean, it, it pained me to do it, but... You know, you and I talked about it the last time I had you on the show previewing that game between the Bears and the Lions was, you know, what we wanted when we talked in the first before the first game, which was a we wanted the Packers to not make the playoffs mm-hmm. legitimately, not be able to blame it on Rodgers getting hurt or any kind of this, that or the other. And we were almost there. We had him at four and six. And then Rodgers goes on the radio. We got to keep that guy off the radio for starters. You know, right? Mr. Relax, and then they go off on a crazy run and make the playoffs. And then, you know, he goes on the radio, tells everyone, I think we can run the table, and then the bastards do it. You know, it's like we had him at four and six. We almost got it. You know, it's. You guys almost took him down that one that's, game, too. Th- that's why I'm sighing right now, because we should have done it, but we didn't. And then you guys finally had a chance with it. And we missed out on because one loss and any stretch, they don't make the playoffs, period. They just don't go. 
You know, the Bears could have done it, and then you guys had your shot and uh, came up short, and we almost got our wish, but instead, you know, they're ready to immortalize Aaron Rodgers. And thank God for the Atlanta Falcons finally right. taking the Packers oh down. It's like because I could not have handled two weeks of Rodgers versus Brady in the Super. I could not no. have sat and listened because I, I would have had to listen to about how you know what a prophet Aaron Rodgers is for saying we're going to run the table and then they run the table all the way to the Super Bowl. I just I would not have been able to stomach that for two weeks. It just could not have happened. So thank God the Falcons put a stop to it, but. You know, we fell short on our wish to see the Packers not make the playoffs because they weren't good enough as opposed to some kind of catastrophic injury sidelining the entire season. Yeah, I think us NFC North teams have to form some sort of legion of doom to, to <laughs> take take him down. Like, it, we keep relying on, like, an individual team to do it. But I think, like, you know, those, you know, like, kung fu fights where, like, everyone attacks the hero one, th- one at a time and it never works. Right. We all just got to... Close in on him at once. Close in on Aaron Rodgers at once and somehow defeat this guy this year because no one likes the Packers' reign at the top of the NFC North. Yeah, so that's the one thing that we all have in common is that uh, that uh, that joint hate for uh, for Green Bay and and being sick of seeing them at the top of the of the division. I mean, even though the Vikings won it in 2015, they didn't do much with it. Right. Um, you know, but the Packers end up making it further in the playoffs, anyways. Yeah. So there you go. But um, Anyway, so you know they they had that 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 rush and they still make the playoffs. They kind of backdoor their way in, and then you know the Seattle game. Basically, they never got off the bus for that one. Yep, it so. was uh, it was a disappointing end of the season, and I think that game cemented it more than anything that by the end of the season the lines were just not. A competitive, a competitive enough team to really compete in the playoffs. They probably didn't deserve to be there. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily because of their entire team, just where they were at that point in the season with the injuries, with Matthew Stafford playing as he was. They weren't a playoff team at that point in the season. Yeah, I mean, what a difference a month makes because a month before, yeah. you'd beaten Chicago, you're on a five-game winning streak, you're one of the hottest teams in the division, you're two games up with three games to play on the Packers. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, the people are looking at the Lions to possibly make some kind of move uh, in the postseason with their offense and Matthew Stafford's never say die attitude. I mean, I think I was reading earlier today, like eight fourth quarter comebacks in one season for yep. that guy in, in 2016. I mean, he was absolutely on fire as far as that goes. And then after that win against Chicago, it just kind of all uh, kind of all fell apart. So we head into the offseason now and the um, Quinn is the GM now, right? Yep, Bob Quinn. Quinn. Bob Quinn, that's right. Um, Decides that he wants to beef up the offensive line. Uh, He got the left side taken care of last year with drafting TJ Decker and your third round choice. What was his name? Uh, That would be Graham Glasgow. There you go. And he played center and guard for you guys last year. That's right. Right. So he goes out and doubles out the dollars to sign Rick Wagner away from the Bears because that's somebody that the Bears were targeting going into the into the offseason, offers more money. He signs with you guys, the offensive tackle from the Ravens. And then um, there was a lot of this going on in the division, or at least between like the Lions and the Vikings, of signing each other's offensive linemen. Or actually, you know, right. the, in, in the, or with the, you guys signed TJ Lang away from the, the Packers because yeah. Riley Reef went to Minnesota. And um, somebody. It was just it was going all over the place. Very incestuous the what we were doing with as far as the, the offensive linemen leaving their teams but staying in division at the same time. So 
TJ Lang, who I found as a native uh, from Michigan, yep. comes comes home to play for the Packers, and he and Rick Wagner are the new and improved right side uh, of the offensive line. So is Glasgow going to be your center, or is he going to stay at left guard next to um, Decker? He'll stay at left guard. Um, it'll still be Travis Swanson, who's on the last year of his qu- contract this year. Um, he's back from his concussion that he ended the season with. Okay. Um, the, I mean, the big question right now, though, is Taylor Decker because he tore his labrum about two months ago, and recovery time for that is four to six months. So right. the expectation is for him to miss at least the first month, maybe even the first two months of the season, which means the Lions are going to be entering the bye week at week eight probably without the service of their left tackle, who was you know, probably the bright spot of that offensive line last year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were, there were people that had – doubts about whether or not he'd be a good left tackle uh uh in the mm-hmm. nfl because that's what he played in in college they saw him more as a pro right tackle and then for one reason or another he is the starting left tackle day one and not only you know play well but he's you know exceeded expectations is what people were expecting uh from him kind of in the the, the vein of uh, cody white here uh yeah. for the bears i mean we knew that he was one of the best offensive linemen in college football but um, throw him in at center, a position he's never played before, and the kid should have made the Pro Bowl with the way he played uh, last year. I mean, it was amazing to see how, how he did. And, you know, Taylor Decker just seemed to impress each and every week at, at one of the toughest positions in the game. Yeah. And so now the Lions, they're already kind of in scramble mode. Um, the first couple weeks that it happened, they were trying a couple different things. They were trying Joe Dahl, who was, I believe, a fifth-round pick last year. Um, they tried him at left tackle he'd been playing guard last year didn't seem to work out so the lions went and traded for greg robinson who was already kind of on his way out despite being a second overall pick with the rams um he's guaranteed 3.3 million dollars this year whether the lions cut him or keep him so he's probably going to be your starting left tackle in week one Mm -hmm. which has got to be really scary for lions fans because if you ask any rams fan what they think of greg robinson they're going to laugh at you if, yeah. you if you tell them he, you think they're going to be his left tackle. Um, they also signed a guy named Cyrus Quanjo, who's with the Bills. Um, he was their backup left tackle. He was a former second-round pick, kind of also fell out of favor there, but had a couple good games last year as a, as a fill-in. So the Lions hope they're going to find a left tackle out of that for the first month or two of the season because uh, they're probably going to need it with Decker's injury. And the other thing that the offense needed help with that they didn't address in the draft or in free agency, and there were some names to be had in free agency, and there certainly were names to be had in the draft, was running back. Mm -hmm. Because for the umpteenth year in a row, the Lions come in at the bottom or near it as far as rush offense uh, is concerned. I mean, Stafford and company, and and, 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 I still can't stand his name, Cooter, your offensive (laughs) uh, coordinator, you know, do a fantastic job shortening up the the passing game. It was more intermediate routes and yards after the catch with with guys like Golden Tate and, and such. But um, you know, the running game still struggles. And and until you guys get a running game, your offense is always going to be one one uh, one sided and, and incomplete. And it was the one thing that the Lions didn't address in the off season. It's true, and I think that goes to show you just how much confidence this team has in Amir Abdullah. Um, like I said earlier, uh, he got injured real quick last year. He only played six quarters of football before um, this foot injury, um, Liz Frank injury, mm. took 
him out for the rest of the season. Um, but he's 100% according to himself. He's been participating in all the OTAs and minicamp and all that. So the expectation is he's going to be the workhorse back this year. And if if you want to base it on how he's been rushing the ball ever since Jim Bob Cooter took over uh, as the offensive coordinator in the middle of the 2015 season, he's been excellent. He averaged, I mean, he only played six quarters, but he averaged over five yards a carry last year. Before that, um, in the 2015 season, after Jim Bob Cooter took over, I think he averaged about 4-4 carry. So um, the Lions really believe this is going to be their star back, and I'm kind of buying into it, to be honest. He, he looked like a very elusive guy, very smart in between the tackles. He, usually when you have a guy that's speedy and that kind of you know jumpy and, and really likes to make a lot of cuts, usually with those kind of guys, they're not really that good at being decisive through the tackles, but that's what I've seen out of Abdullah in, you know, uh, in about 17 weeks of his play. So I'm excited to see what he can do. Um, that being said, I've been following the Detroit Lions team long enough to know that anytime I've ever been excited about a running game, it's always disappointed me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I, I have tempered expectations, but I think this is a guy that could definitely rush for a thousand yards next year. Yeah, I definitely think he's got the talent to do it, but he's got to be on the field uh, yep. in order to to pull it off. So, I mean, that would be the big, big issue um, there. So, I mean, it was, uh, I mean, it was almost mirrored that happened in in Minnesota. Adrian Peterson going down week two, and and the running game suffered throughout the season because they didn't have anybody to pick up the slack behind him. It's like you guys had Theo Theo Riddick, right? Yep, and and he's really more of a receiving back. He doesn't right. really thrive. He kind of suffers from those between the tackle pro- problems that I was just referencing. Um, very, very good as a receiver, though. He's he's one of the best receiving uh, backs in the league. I would put him right up there with Danny Woodhead, really. So when, when you get to the draft, you're drafting in the 20s, correct? Yep. And, you know, uh, what's his name? Dalvin Cook was sitting there when you guys were picking. Were you salivating over the fact that the, the Lions should be taking him, or were you happy with... Uh, with Gerard Davis as the guy being the number one pick? I, that's a tough question to say. I don't quite remember where I was at the time in, in terms of headspace, but in general, this defense had much bigger issues, I think, than the running game and, and the offense in general. So Delvin Cook was a guy that I was thinking about, but I think in general I was I was just best defensive player available, and Jared Davis fit a huge need. Um especially with the Lions having cut DeAndre Levy earlier in the offseason, um, especially with Tyre Whitehead having one of the worst seasons in the league, according to pro football focus. <laughs> um, this this was a defense that could not cover a tight end, could not cover a running back. Jared Davis is going to, much like Taylor Decker took over the big role of left tackle from the get-go last year, Jared Davis is going to take over middle linebacker on that Detroit Lions defense. And so he's got a big task ahead of him, and the Lions are entrusting him to that deal. And, you know, they need him to succeed. They needed that piece. So I'm perfectly fine with the Jared Davis pick. It wasn't quite as exciting. And really, I think the the more controversial pick was passing over Reuben Foster, Mm. um, which is someone that I think think a lot of Lions fans didn't expect to have him all the way down there right. in the draft but I guess you know the injury issues were were serious enough to drop him down that low um, a lot of Lions fans were mad about passing him over and they're going to really be keeping a close eye on his career to make sure the Lions didn't make the wrong choice right so just to backtrack a little with the free agency 
uh, with Wagner and and Lang, anybody else in in the bench that you were happy to see join the team? Um, there were a couple, I think, additions that were important. Nothing that has me really excited. I guess I guess the biggest one would be Darren Fells, the tight end. Um, not really a big name out there, but he's a huge blocking tight end, and that's something that the Lions haven't had in quite some time. The Lions suffered quite a few injuries in the preseason last year um, for their tight end, so they basically just had Eric Ebron and a bunch of undrafted free agents on their team. And Eric Ebron is not a blocker. I'm really convinced that this year they're going to treat him like Jimmy Graham. He's essentially going to be a receiver this year. Mm -hmm. So Darren Fells is going to be in there as a blocking tight end. The Lions will be able to go two tight end uh, sets a lot more often. They were one of the most frequent three wide receiver sets last year and i think that made the running game suffer a little bit so with darren fells you're not only opening up uh eric ebron to be more of the tight end that he's suited to be but you're improving that running game that has struggled so much in the past three years okay and anybody that you were sad to see go besides i mean i'm pretty sure you guys would still like to have riley reef at this point yeah uh i mean definitely now with the injury to uh to decker uh that would uh, that would be very helpful to have uh, <laughs> him, him around at this point. But as I mentioned, I was a huge, huge, huge fan of DeAndre Levy, both on and off the field. He's a super interesting guy, um, does a lot of stuff, a lot of work in the community, does a lot of interesting travel. Um, just, you know, if you follow the guy on Instagram, you'll see him in these crazy places and doing these crazy, interesting things. But, you know, he had had a, a very troubling career in the NFL he, he spoke up against the NFL quite a bit in terms of the way they treated pain medication and, and most importantly for the Lions he had suffered a lot of injuries he had lost all of his 2015 season he wasn't quite ready at the beginning of the 2016 season and then when he finally got back on the field um, you could see he clearly wasn't the same where he was in 2014 where he played at a Pro Bowl level the Lions needed a defensive playmaker like that and everyone kept thinking they'd finally get it back with DeAndre Levy and it never came to be so it was sad to see them kind of finally give up on that project um it turns out that DeAndre Levy had to get another surgery anyway so it was probably the right move and he hasn't been picked up at this point but um he was probably my favorite player on the team um for the past few years and to see him go not only it hurts me personally, but it, it hurts the team because, like I said, that now they kind of have this whole linebacker that they're expecting a a rookie first round pick to fill. Yeah. So moving on to the to the draft, we already talked to uh, talked about uh, Jared Davis, and then another guy that you know some were were mocking him to be a late mid to late first round uh, choice, but lands in your laps at fifty three is a tease Tabor. Uh, the cornerback out of Florida. So one and two, the top picks for the draft uh, out of uh, the same school in, in Florida. And, you know, cornerback is actually one of the strengths on, on the defensive secondary, isn't it? So did you guys really need to take another corner at, at number two? Or was this like a move like the, the rich getting richer or you can't have too many good cornerbacks? What, was the, what do you think they were thinking when they picked him? It definitely seemed to me like that was a, a value pick at that point. It certainly mm-hmm wasn't one of the team's most pressing needs 
But now they have a very interesting situation at cornerback. They have a lot of talent. They picked up DJ Hayden as well in uh, in the offseason free agency, and he's probably going to compete the nickel spot. Um, but Tease Tabor's in a position now where he's probably not going to start the season, even though he's a second-round pick. I'd expect the Lions to kind of take their time on him, and it's the Lions are in a good enough position where Nevin Lawson will probably be their, their number two guy outside of Darius Slay, who's, you know, their shutdown corner. Um, but like you said, a lot of people were predicting tees to go in the first round, so this is a value pick. The Lions need playmakers on defense, so they're in a situation now where they have a little a plethora of guys at defensive back. They can take their time with Tease Tabor and, and, and work it along slowly. And, you know, a lot of people say that cornerbacks take a couple of years to get adjusted to the NFL anyways. This way they don't have to throw Tease to the Wolves and, you know, have him suffer in his first year or anything like that. So the is... Question, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, I, I was just going to say, the, the question with Tease, though, that has a lot of people kind of wishy-washy on this pick is his speed because he... He graded out very poorly, both at the Combine and at the Pro Day. Um, he'd blamed a hamstring issue, but the fact that he ran so slow had a lot of people wondering whether he could keep up with NFL speed. But you look at the guy's tape, and he competes. He's He's got really good closing speed on tape, on film, and he's very competitive, really a, a ball hawk. And he's just one of those guys that, you know, if you put the measurements aside, there's no reason why this guy can't succeed, but um, there were alarming, you know, measurements that he had at, at the pro day. This wasn't just an incident of where he's like, eh, well, that's a little bit slower than we expected. Like, there are not many cornerbacks that have ran that slow of a 40 and, and you know, all the other running drills mm -hmm. um, that have succeeded in the NFL. He has to beat the odds, essentially, with, uh, with scores that low. So is he one of those people, if somebody's trying to um... – Put on the rose-colored glasses. Says he plays faster than he than he runs, or or absolutely. something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, when the Lions made that pick, it seemed like the fans were pretty much split fifty-fifty on that guy. Mm -hmm. And it, it, you know, now now that we've we're four three months removed from the draft, everyone's kind of on on board. But uh, we'll see once once the pads are on, mm -hmm. what uh, what we get from Tease. So is Quinn a, a best player available? guy as far as that's who he's going to take uh in the draft or is is he you know is he a need gm that's that's hard to say we've only had two drafts to to really diagnose that yeah. i think he'd tell you that he's a best player available guy mm -hmm. but the thing is with those first round each of those first round picks he filled the line's biggest need last year it was left tackle this year is linebacker and he got it with his with his first two picks so it, I mean, it's interesting. I, I would definitely say there's some picks in there that definitely make it sound like it's best player available. One example would be drafting Brad Kaya, quarterback, in uh, in the sixth round. Yeah. The Lions already drafted a young quarterback last year in the sixth round with Jake Rudock. Mm -hmm. So there was really no need for, for the Lions to draft Brad Kaya, but they did. So that kind of gives uh, credence to the best player available method. But uh it, it's kind of been a mixed bag so far, so I, I wouldn't commit either way, but I think Bob Quinn would say that he's a, a best player, player available guy. I read something very funny about Brad Kaya today. Mm -hmm. um, do you know who his mother is? Yes, I do. Okay, so yes, I'm I sure do. that you do, but uh, for anyone else, um, I don't know her name, but um, she was the, for anyone who's seen Friday, um, she is Felicia. 
you know, that has been made famous over the last five years or so by the phrase by Felicia. Yes. That is that is his mom. She was the the I don't know if she was on crack or she had a drug problem in the first movie. She was the one that was dating Debo and the one that that Ice Cube was by Felicia. By Felicia. And that is Brad Kaya's mom. When I read that, I laughed out loud. I could not believe like, dude, that is crazy that that's, yeah. that's his mom. For the first, so. I think, three weeks after the draft, I couldn't go a day without someone saying bye, Felicia, in my Twitter mentions. <laughs> nice. Nice. So you wrap up the the draft. I mean, I swear to God, just to, to piss on the Bears draft one more time, I swear that <laughs> the Bears were the only team that only had like five. They only had five picks yeah. this year. It just seems like, you know, I was looking at Minnesota. You know, everybody had multiple this you know that you know two third rounders two fourth rounders and ended up with like nine players being drafted uh, onto the team and the bears only with five because of that fantabulous trade that we made um to give away our third and fourth round picks but um <clears throat> anyway um so the draft overall anybody else uh you know davis Tabor, we talked about brad kaya anyone else in in the group that you were essentially high on when the lions made the pick well their third round pick of Kenny Galladay was was actually kind of a head turner. Hmm. He, he's actually looked really good in uh, in train or in OTAs and, and minicamp. But then again, what rookie doesn't look amazing right. at that point? Um, but he was a guy. The Lions definitely are were looking to add a wide receiver. Anquan Bolden doesn't appear like he's going to be coming back this year, and he was a pretty big part of the offense last year. Um, but I don't think Galladay was a guy on a, a lot of people's roster or, or radar. I should say, guy out of Northern Illinois. Not a huge college, but um, also, you know, not really considered a very polished route runner, but he's got really good hands. He's kind of very aggressive towards the ball, so he'll he'll fight for those tight window balls, but um, kind of a head scratcher. And then I'd say maybe the the second or third day pick that got fans most excited was uh, the tight end out of Toledo, Michael Roberts, in the fourth round. Um, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. The Lions just had no depth at tight end beyond Eric Ebron last year. Michael Roberts is a huge target. He's got massive hands. If you look online, they're just pictures of his hands bigger than people's faces. <laughs> and so um, he's going to be a red zone threat. I don't know if he will be right away, but he'll certainly make the team. Um, he'll kind of, if you remember Joseph Fourier, he's kind of going to be like yeah. he was about three years ago for the Lions. So um, I think people are excited to see what he has in store in 2017. So speaking of 2017, we move into the schedule. And, um, you know, this year we get the AFC North, the NFC South. Um, one is, I mean, the, the AFC North, a very tough division, the Ravens, the Steelers, the Bengals, um, you know, then there's the Browns, and of course. But then in the NFC South, that's where, you know, it's, it's, it's a, really a division that could go either way, you know, because yeah. you have the Panthers, can they bounce back, will will – Will 2017 be a repeat of a crappy 2016 season, or will they come close to what they did two years ago? Can the Falcons, um, you know, overcome the Super Bowl loser jinx? Um, can the Saints put a defense together that will actually help Drew Brees uh, win football games? Because despite uh, having the number one offense in, in the NFL, as far as yardage and everything is concerned, they had one of the worst defenses in the league again, and that's why they were a 7-9 football team. I mean, Breeze was good enough to give him seven wins without a defense last year. 
And then, you know, you have the Buccaneers, who in many people's opinion, including mine, are going to be a team that you really need to pay attention to this year. So, I mean, whereas, you know, a a year, maybe two, three years ago, this would have been a schedule that you'd be drooling over to get the NFC South. Well, we'll just run right through those guys. Those eight games with the the AFC North and the NFC South make this schedule one of the more daunting that we've had in a while. I completely agree. I think this is a really, really, really tough looking schedule. And sure, we're two months out predicting what the schedule looks like. And and it'll probably change quite a bit, you know, once we're a few weeks into the season. But I'm looking at the the first eight games of the Lions schedule. And, and, you know, we've talked this over a little bit with the rest of my staff. I think four and four is optimistic for the Lions through those first eight games. and, And that's that's I mean, that's tough because you're probably not in a position to win the division if you're 4 and 4 at the halfway point. Maybe you can make up for it in the back half of the schedule, but like I said 4 and 4 is optimistic. I would I might be happy with 3 and 5 because like I I think that the NFC South that's a division where I can see anyone winning it and I can see anyone finishing last. It's that competitive. And uh like you said a lot of those teams they could go either way. So we'll we'll have to see, but it's daunting for sure. Sure. Yeah, so you come out game one, you're home for the Cardinals. Uh, week two, you're at the, the Giants on Monday Night Football. Then home again for the Falcons, defending NFC champs. At Minnesota, always a tough place to play. Home for the Panthers, and then at New Orleans, another place to, uh, difficult place to play before a week seven bye week this year. So yeah, just those six games right off the top. Arizona, are they going to be able to rebound from a bad year? last year because this was one of the best teams in football in 2015 um the giants made the playoffs last year the falcons obviously super bowl should have won the damn thing minnesota i talked to chris gates a few days ago and basically when that conversation went no one should be surprised if the if the vikings go 11 and 5 and win the division this year just because if they get it figured out on offense their defense is good enough to carry them that far and then we talked about the Panthers and we talked about the Saints. Those are the first six games. I mean, three and three, two and four, would that be a happy schedule for you there? At that, you know, going into the bye, would, would 500 be good for you guys? Uh, yeah, I, it, I think the Lions have to at least be three. Yeah, I, they'd have to be at least be three and three there because the next two games are Steelers-Packers. So, right. yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I think three and three is is a necessity i don't know if they pick up i think they're they're, they got to hope to pick up that opening game against the cardinals the lions haven't opened up at home in a few years so i think ford field's going to be really ready for that but other than that like they're they're going to have to take care of the vikings on the road probably and then pick up at least one win against one of those nfc south teams whether it's the the panthers at home or the saints on the road the the good news for the lions is that they've beaten the saints on the road two years in a row this is oddly the third year in a row they'll be playing at the superdome uh, but they've won the last two, so they'll probably be going into that game with a little bit of confidence that they can win on the road there. Oh, that's strange. I didn't know that. I mean, it's kind of like the the Bears and the, the 49ers. Um, mm-hmm. This is the third year in a row that we're playing the 49ers in Soldier Field, and what's funnier than that is that we're basically playing them on the exact same day for the third year in a row. It's huh. week 13, the first Sunday in December, the last three seasons. So it's like because, you know, you're always going back a day when, when the year turns over. It's like it was f- December 5th. Now it's December 4th. This year it's December 3rd. Week 13, the same, the same Sunday the 49ers are coming to town the th- three years in a row. It's crazy that it's, that it's happening uh, that way. So, 
But like you said, to finish out the first half after your bye week, you're six games in after the going into the bye. You're home for Pittsburgh at Green Bay on Monday night, and that basically closes the first half of the schedule. Then you kick off the second half, home for Cleveland, and then week 11, when's the last time that you played the Bears this late in the season for the first time? That's a great question. It it was interesting to see that. Like The Lions have one division game in their first eight weeks hmm. that's uh so yeah, things will really pick up they'll be able to re- if if the lines get off to that slow start they'll really be able to help themselves in that last half of the schedule yeah. and that they have they're so division loaded in the last eight game eight, eight weeks <clears throat> but uh yeah i don't i don't remember the last time the lines played that late and uh it's been a while for sure it's been a while they're, they're they'll be hungry for them at that point i think yeah, and I, the other thing is, um, you say you, you guys only play one division game in the first eight games. We only play two, wow. um, because our our schedule. It's funny. It's it's symmetrically sandwiched in a, in a way, because the first two weeks, because uh, also we we have a, a week nine bye, so we're split right down the middle, eight on top, eight on the bottom. The first two games and the last two games, as far weeks one and two, week seven and eight. NFC South. We have the entire NFC South in the first eight weeks. Hmm. Then weeks three and five are AFC North, Pittsburgh and Baltimore. Or week three and six, Pittsburgh and Baltimore. And then four and five in the middle are Green Bay and Minnesota. So it's like this perfect divisional sandwich. You know, you start with with the bread is the top. The two games (laughs) is the NFC South. The bottom two games are the NFC South. And then you know, the, 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 the lettuce and the mayonnaise or whatever, and then the meat in the middle is Green Bay and, and Minnesota, uh, back-to-back weeks four and five. So that's just me and my crazy mind putting things like that together. But, um, you know, so, I mean, here we go. And then the last eight weeks for you, you start with Cleveland at Chicago, Minnesota. Uh, that's on Thanksgiving again. Um, yep. At Baltimore, at Tampa Bay, home for the Bears on Saturday afternoon not saturday night but saturday afternoon mm-hmm. and then at at cincinnati and for the what third year in a row you're playing green bay to close out the year because something so, like yeah. that yeah that sounds it's, right yeah yeah because i know it's at least the second year yep. uh in a row because the bears are finishing the season in minnesota for the second year in a row uh this season so um so yeah i mean definitely the second half of the schedule looks um a lot less daunting because you got Cleveland and uh, the Bears in there to kick it off uh, for you. Got the Bears twice, so that certainly brings down the the winning percentage of the uh, teams that you're facing there in the second half. Because that was one of the things that that I noticed when the schedule came out this year was I was watching the NFL Network and they were saying like like the number the top five teams as far like schedule like difficulty of schedule by winning percentage in the first eight games the Bears were like number three. Yeah, because of the teams that they have to play uh, in the first uh, eight games. It's like one of the toughest schedules in football for the first eight weeks. And, you know, looking at it for the Bears, Atlanta at Tampa Bay, um, home for Pittsburgh, and then Thursday night. So a quick turnaround on the road at Green Bay in the first four games. Uh, this is a team that started 0-3 the last two years, and we are staring down the barrel of 0-4 this year. <laughs> Yeah. You know, in a season where it's it's it, it is no pun intended because it's my last name. There is a dire need for the Bears to get off to a fast start this year. And the schedule is going to allow none of that. 
So, I mean, it, yeah. it's crazy to look at. I mean, you, you're going to be optimistic and dancing in the streets for three and three. After the first eight weeks, if we're two and six, I'll be happy. You know, because the, <laughs> yeah. the first eight games are just un, un, unbelievable for the Bears this year. I, I guess if I had realized how rough the, the Bears' beginning of the schedule was, I wouldn't have been complaining about how bad the Lions was <laughs> for the past five minutes. No, but like you know, we were talking about before we got into schedules, like with the NFC South and the AFC North on the same schedule, there's really not an easy week on the schedule. I mean, especially for the Lions, you guys finished in, in second place, so even your same-place opponents – yeah. You know, are rough. You got uh, the Giants and who else? The duh, 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 who's in the West? Bucks. Oh, the Cardinals. No, no, no. They're right there, Cardinals right at the very top. Oh, right. The first two, yep, your right. first two games, those are your same place opponents. The Cardinals and the, the Giants, those are your second place, same place uh, opponents. It's like that's the one luxury that the Bears have being a fourth place team. You get the 49ers, a team they, even with our football team, we stomped the 49ers last year. <laughs> And the Eagles, who started hot and then came down to reality as the season went along last year. Those are our same place opponents. And just like everybody else, the Browns are on our schedule this year, so that's good. We always play our own division tough, so the second half of the schedule is a lot more, like, breathable. But in those first eight games, you know, the Bears need to get off to a fast start and the schedule is just flat out not going to allow it. And, you know, you're kind of looking at the same thing with Detroit, I mean, you, you have the, the Cardinals and the Giants, then you the Falcons at Minnesota, home for the Panthers at New Orleans. I mean, that could be that could easily be a four and two schedule, but could also easily be two and four if those teams are anything like what they used to be. Yeah, absolutely, and and we'll we'll just have to kind of figure it out as we're going. But um, like I said, if 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 they're four and two at the beginning of that, or yeah, after six weeks going into the bye week at four and two would be amazing for this team. Yeah. Yeah, because then you, you'd be in a position where you could afford to drop one of those games against Pittsburgh or, or Green Bay uh, yep. coming off of the uh, the bye. I mean, obviously it would suck, but it wouldn't hurt as bad if you were already 3-3 three and three or 2-4 and four going, into the, uh, going into the bye uh, as well. So, so looking at this, even with as ugly as the schedule can appear to be in spots, have you put together a uh, you know, prediction for – you know, like a ballpark, nine and seven, ten and six, where you think they might land this year. Yeah, I, I guess I don't really have a, a definitive answer for you, but I, I can throw out a number there, just uh, where I'm at now. Obviously, that's subject to change, depending on what happens in the preseason and all that. But uh, I'm really looking at eight and eight right now. I know that's the least exciting prediction I could possibly give, right? Uh, but I just the the schedule's daunting. I'm worried about Taylor Decker's injury. I'm worried about this team's pass rush because it, it was bad last year and you know outside of maybe adding Cornelius Washington who I know you're probably a little bit familiar with mm -hmm. um I don't see how it's gotten better this year right um and I just think this team isn't there yet where it's going to compete for a division title I know I know they did last year but those eight comeback wins not really a sustainable thing you can't really be going into fourth quarter going into the fourth quarter, losing the game, which they did, I believe, in 15 of 16 games, or at least they were losing at some point in the fourth quarter in 15 of the 16 games. Yeah. Um, that's just not a recipe for success. Right. Um, that being said, their defense should be better than it was last year. And I'm like I said, I'm pretty optimistic about Amir Abdullah. So, like, it's one of those situations where if all those things go right, which are kind of, you know, there's a lot of those things, but if right. they all go right... 
this team could be, I would say, 11-5. and five. That's probably their ceiling. Um, if, if I were to go basement, I really think if Matthew Stafford is healthy, this team doesn't lose double-digit games ever again. So I, I guess I would put their, their ceiling at, or their basement at 7-9 uh, at and nine then. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, I can definitely, definitely see that. Are you factoring in their quote-unquote history in that at all? You know, I mean – it's it's all you know just the way things happen but you know you sit there and you look at like the magazine i was looking at earlier today um has that five-year history and it's you know the the five years is um you know 2012 through 2016 2012 you didn't make the playoffs actually 2013 you did 24 or didn't 2014 you did 2015 you did in 2016 you did and you know just kind of goes up that way you're looking at basically uh as i said at the top of the show, you can't do the same thing twice um there's no repeating history as far as the the four uh the the lions are the 49 where the hell did that come from? <laughs> the lions uh are concerned you know so i mean any any of the you know we made the playoffs last year that means we're not going to this year playing into that at all or is it really just taking the team as it is taylor decker being an issue you know, can the defense step up? Will you know? Ab- Ab- will uh, Abdullah be healthy enough to help us out uh, on offense, or you know, is there history involved in that? Well, as as a Lions fan, I don't really like to think about history too sure. much. Yeah, no, I don't blame, you. Don't blame um, you. But if if we are factoring that in, I mean, the Lions haven't made the playoffs in back to back seasons since 1995, so it has been a while for them to do something like that. I'm, yeah. I'm hoping that's not subconsciously the reason why I'm picking them to go eight and eight. Maybe it is, but um, I, I think there are some serious issues with the team. Not enough where I think they're going to be a bottom five team in the NFC. Like I think a lot of people might be predicting a lot of people are really expecting the lines to drop back because of that whole, like eight comeback wins thing that they're really pinned to be a team that regressed this year i don't really see that much of a regression maybe a little bit like i said we were nine and seven last year i'm predicting i guess eight and eight next year so um maybe a little bit of regression there but in terms of the team i actually think the team has gotten a little bit better sure sure and it's yeah like i said we we talked about what the hell of a schedule is going to be this year so yeah um you know losing a game from where you were last year not that big a deal however it could spell bad news for your coach um if uh you know, if you do have another losing season or, or don't make the uh, playoffs, do you think that, uh, you know, he'll be able to stick around if you guys fall short again? Yeah, that's a great question. And one, I really don't have a feeling one way or the other, to be honest, because everything you hear out of that locker room is like utter support for Jim Caldwell. And Caldwell has this kind of negative outlook from the from the rest of the league a lot of people don't think don't really respect him as a coach they kind of think he's a goofball and like doesn't smile all this sort of kind of like superficial stuff but this is a guy who's kept the locker room like excited they were one in seven in 2015 and they they made a a six and two run to finish the season almost made a playoff run and then last year again they started i believe it was uh one and three at least one yeah at least one one and three. three yeah they bounce back to to make the playoffs so he really has the locker room sold the real question though is whether he has the general manager sold because bob quinn kept him around this isn't bob quinn's coach this isn't bob quinn's coaching staff at all so he's he could have canned uh jim caldwell right when he came in in 2015 he could have canned them after the 2015 season i'm sorry he could have canned them right after the 2015 season didn't um 
could have canned him after getting bounced in the first round of the uh, the playoffs last year, didn't. Um, this is what most people think is Caldwell's last year on his contract. They're not sure because Bob Quinn said he wouldn't go public if they extended him. Um, but if it is his last year of the contract and they don't make the playoffs, I think he's definitely very much on the hot seat. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have a lot of respect for Jim Caldwell. Unfortunately, he he inherited Peyton Peyton Manning and, and the Colts when – so he didn't get a lot of credit for what they did when he was right. head coach. But he got all the credit in the world when it went sideways on him after Peyton left and, uh, you know, they struggled and uh, so on and, and, and so forth. So, um, you know, a lot of things have basically kind of like happened like that with the uh, – with the Lions, I mean, how could you do any worse than Jim Schwartz? You bring this guy in, Jim Caldwell. He's uh, he's legit, and uh, but at the same time, um, you know, he's kind of got the same reputation that Lovey had. Um, the players yeah. love him; they would do anything for the guy. But public perception uh, of him was that he was a coach that wasn't getting the job done. Yeah, and I mean, he he's done what seemed like the impossible ten years ago, and he's brought the Lions to playoffs two and two times in three years. But I think Lions fans are already sick of getting bounced in the first round. They haven't won a playoff game since 1991. So um, it, they Lions fans are going to get very impatient if he can't get them over the hump of at least winning a postseason game. And, and I don't know if public perception is enough for um, Martha Ford or, or Bob Quinn to pull the trigger on, on Jim Caldwell, but um, the pressure is definitely going to be there if they don't make the playoffs. And last question, this is actually going to be the first time I'm bringing this up. It's something that I asked everybody last year about the Color Rush uniforms and everything. Sure. But it's not about the Color Rush. It's just the first time I'm bringing up uniforms because the Lions, again, it seems like they just did this, but they changed their uniforms again, and, and they, they're going with a less is more approach because uh, they've taken black out of the color scheme, so it's just back to white, silver, and blue are you a fan of what the new uniform because i'm not a fan of the helmets at least with the because i the just the, the the flat blue on on the on the silver helmet doesn't work for me i i i actually love them to be honest okay. um I, i'm not really a fan of the color rush i never really have been so oh, yeah. sil- just... silver jerseys look weird to me and I, i'm not really for it but um they they kind of look a little bit more like their throwback jerseys do, and I'm I, I really like the simplicity, like you said, that kind of less is more approach, and the font's a little snazzier. I hated black in the in the uniform. I thought that was a really bad choice. Back in the Matt Millen days, they had an all black jersey that I thought looked awful, and some people wanted to bring that black back, and I'm so glad that they didn't. Right. But uh, I got I got myself a new uh, a new Jared Davis jersey, so uh, okay. I'm going to be rocking that this year, and I'm I'm pretty happy with it. All right. Okay. Yeah, I'm just um, I kind of wish that they would go back to the the block letter uniforms. Yeah. You know the old school like Barry Sanders. You like know, the circus lettering. <laughs> Almost, well, I guess, but you know, well, actually, you know, I like the font, the the, the yep. lettering and everything. I think that's that's that looks really great, you know, and the the the, the updated uh, lion uh, logo, you know, sharper and you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. I really liked um, the way that that looks. It's just that the uniform, something that just just doesn't pop for me the way that those old school uniforms did. I mean, I think that all four teams in our division had uniforms that don't need to be touched. You know, yeah. the the Vikings went ahead and updated theirs, obviously, and you guys have been tinkering with yours for uh, for quite a quite a while. So, I mean, if if the Bears or the Packers 
fall victim to a uniform change, I'm I'm done. <laughs> you know, those are classic, classic uniforms. They didn't really need to be messed with in the first place. And, uh, you know, you guys keep messing with yours. Uh, I'm not a fan. So, but, uh, you know, there are bigger things to complain about. It's just one of those things. I'm a, you know, I'm a graphic designer. I, I, I notice things like this. So when I hear, oh, the Lions are updating their uniform, first thought was, again, didn't they just, <laughs> didn't they just, but then I found out it was 2009. It's like, really? Has it been that long that yeah. they've, that it's been? That's they played with the uniform. That's crazy. So, I think maybe it's because they they updated the logo like a few yeah. years ago. Maybe that's what it was that I was thinking of. Yep. As opposed to the uniforms, but uh, yeah, when they, when I saw the new uniforms, I was like, ah, oh, not a fan. And then I did see the color rush, which is head to toe silver. Not a yeah. fan. That's that looks terrible. Looks I don't like it, but it, it's extremely popular. Actually, I think a lot of what. I think, I, we put up a poll at Pride of Detroit, and I believe the Color Rush was the most popular out of the four New Jerseys. Oh, so they my have, God. They have home, home Away, Throwback, and, and Color Rush, and I think Color Rush was the most popular. <laughs> I mean, I guess that just says it all right there, doesn't it, as far as why those Color Rush uniforms keep sticking around? Because, right. you know, the worst that I had to put up was Color Rush was the Bears were head-to-toe Navy. It's I don't like that look at all, but... You know, because I think the Bears, honestly, and this could be just my bias, but I think the Bears had the best looking away uniforms. You know, with the white and the, and the dark bottoms. I I've always loved that uniform when the Bears wear it, but they had head to toe navy. And they were playing <laughs> against Green Bay who was head to toe white. It just didn't look good at all. It was yeah. it was a tough game to watch. But I have problems complaining about it though, because I never like I I feel like such an old person when I do, like because <laughs> we could, it seems like all the young people really like it. Like I, I think it started with or, you know the Oregon football team. They started messing around with their jerseys and got everyone all excited oh, about these like all matted colors and all yeah. one color. And now all the kids love it, and I don't. And I just I don't like to talk about it too much because I feel like I'm <laughs> swinging my cane at the sky. Right. No kidding. Yeah. It's I definitely <laughs> know how you feel because I've it's something that I've complained about on the show because for years. The Bears had those terrible pumpkin orange uniforms. Yeah, those are bad. Some people love those. I mean, absolutely love that jersey. You know, the orange with the white lettering and, and the dark outline. I always thought they were an absolute eyesore. And I was so happy when the Bears got rid of them as far as, you know, what because now it's just they do the 40s throwback uniforms instead of the orange one. And I've always liked that way more than those crappy ass orange jerseys. I just, I just hated them. So it's just always something that, you know, I talk about at one point or another and the lions were the one team that did something with their uniform this off season. So I just wanted to see how you felt about the, about the change. It also could kind of be like, you know, when your girlfriend gets a new haircut, you know, you're so used to her being one way and then she comes right. in and she doesn't look the same anymore and you get used to it over time. Like, you know what, actually I do like that haircut on you. It's just, at first, I wasn't happy that you changed your hair because right. now I got to get used to you a different way. And that's, I think maybe that's what it is with the Lions because I didn't like it in the beginning when they added the black to the uniform and all that kind of stuff. And uh, over time, it kind of uh, grew on me. I mean, there are some uniforms that I'll never like, like Tampa Bay's uniform with the digital clock numbers on it. <laughs> Those hey, are were awful. you were Just you a fan awful. of the cr- the creamsicles though back in the day? I love the creamsicle. Jersey. You know, there's a lot of nostalgia involved with the creamsicle yeah, uniforms. That's true. But for me, I think the the ones where they in their quote unquote heyday, you know, the the red tops and and, and okay. the pewter bottoms and everything. That's the uniform of theirs that I really liked. But you know, then they went ahead and 
um, you know, they did what they did during the Lovey era and the change is just, it looks terrible. Just, I, you know, and what the Browns did to their, like another team that had a classic uniform and then went ahead and screwed around with it, trying to be more modern. Now they look like a crappy, you know, like ghetto high school football team or something like that with their <laughs> uniforms. I just, I don't like it. So. Well, I mean, they're kind of a ghetto high school football team in terms true. of true. This yeah. is true. Yeah. They're like a Chicago public league team where, you know, they'll, <laughs> they'll put anybody on the field that wants to play. That's uh, I played against some of those teams when I was in high school and it was, uh, you felt bad after a while, you know, cause <laughs> I went to a suburban school and you know, we, there'd always be one, one like in they, one team would always make the playoffs. It would be the, you know, basically the tallest midget from the, from the public league that would come play us in the first round. We'd be up like 35, nothing midway through the second quarter. So it's like, yeah, these kids do not belong here. And we just got a we just got a free pass to the second round. Cause we got to play them in the first. So, um, yeah, that's how the Browns look in those stupid uniforms. But anyway, but like in the whole girlfriend, you know, haircut thing, the Seahawks with their uniform, when they first changed to the, yeah. to the pattern and stuff that they have now, uh, not a fan, not a fan, but that's a uniform that's grown on, grown on me over time. So anyway, this has gone off the rails. Uh, we stopped <laughs> talking about the lines like 15 minutes ago. So, uh, we'll go ahead and, and, uh, wrap this up. But, um, you know, I think maybe I'm keeping you on the show, Jeremy, cause you are one of my favorite people and I don't get to talk to you again until mid November because right? we don't play each other until week 11 this year. So I think I'm talking to you this long because I'm going to miss you, man. You know, yeah, I, I don't, I don't get you back week four like I did last year. We got to go through uh, two thirds of the season before we get you back on again. Uh, we'll, we'll just have to keep in touch through Twitter, and I'll, uh, I'll throw some more funny predictions your way, and hopefully yeah. they'll come true too. Yeah, so, yeah. So, what would you like to see happen here? I want to see Mitch Trubisky kick a field goal, and Trubisky lines up for the forty-four yard. <laughs> what, Jeremy? Put the voodoo doll down, dude. You're killing me, man. So. So what was this Michael McDonald thing you were talking about on on Twitter oh, yesterday? Well, uh, on our podcast, since especially during the offseason, we don't like to talk too much about the minutia of stuff because not a lot's going on. So we do a mailbag segment where we take questions about anything. And someone asked us who our favorite Yacht Rock performer was. Wow. And also asked if we could do a Michael McDonald impression. And oh, wow. I, I had never done one before, so I attempted and failed miserably. I won't ask you to do it. Don't worry about that. I'm not gonna, not gonna make you do it. But uh, you'll just have to, yeah, you'll have to just listen to our. Yeah, have to download the show. Is it is it? It's Pride of Detroit is the podcast too, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, okay. we call it the podcast. Podcast. Right. Podcast, yeah. Yeah. Lucky, lucky uh, way that worked out. That was pretty cool. It's but, uh, super clever and very hard to find via search. Nice. <laughs> we didn't think that one through. <laughs> That's right. Oh my god. Yeah, because you just search podcast. It's like yeah. Didn't really think that one through. That's that's true. Yeah, that's uh, it's clever and stupid all at the same time. It wraps me up in a nutshell, I think. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, Jeremy, as usual, had a great time uh, talking to you. Like I said, uh, it's going to be four months before we talk again because today is the 12th of July, and we won't talk again until the 19th of November. So four, four full months before we get a chance to – uh, talk to you again uh, on the uh, on the show, but we look forward to having you back. And best of luck the first ten weeks because I hope you die like a dog twice in the last ten, <laughs> you know, last six uh, when we're playing you. So because that would, uh, you know, especially I mean, you know, the first one in Detroit, you know, maybe you guys get that one because it's your home and so on. But that last one in Chicago on on the Saturday, 
we got to have that one or I'm not going to be able to sleep for 12 months. So, yeah. But, uh, you know, we look forward to having you back in November. It's going to be a long wait before we get to see you again. Yeah, I'll see you in a third of a year. Right, <laughs> a third of a year. Way to boil it down for us. Jeremy uh, Reisman uh, on the POD cast, uh, however you want to figure out how to search <laughs> that one. Uh, I bet it's even a bitch to find on iTunes, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you just got to search Pride of Detroit. Don't search okay. POD cast. There you go. Just just spell it out. Don't uh, try to shorten it up and be clever like these guys did. Just search Pride of Detroit, and you'll be able to to, to wind it down. So uh, thanks so much uh, for uh, being on the show. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me. And as always, we uh, want to thank Jeremy for being on the show and, uh, you know, four months until we talk to him again. I mean, it's today's July the 12th, probably the 13th for most of you listening to this uh, right now. We don't see him again until November 19th. So it's it's almost Thanksgiving, actually, before we get the chance to talk to him again. Four whole months, 16 weeks, so a football season before we get to talk to the poor guy again but we get to see him twice inside of a month i think something like that but um you know enjoy really enjoy having jeremy on the show and uh look forward to talking to him uh again Uh, for those of you that follow me on twitter sometimes jeremy and i have some very interesting uh interactions back and forth with each other that can be entertaining for some so uh you know like the michael mcdonald thing that i that i talked to him about i was like that just kind of came out of nowhere so you know he definitely tweets about a lot more than just football or the lions he you know he has those random tweets that he puts out there so follow him on twitter he's a lot of fun to uh to talk to so um anyway i think that's pretty much going to do it i don't really have anything else to add uh just that i definitely feel like at the beginning of the show that uh dan hampton is right about the whole jay cutler leading the bears to multiple championships if he was a quarterback in the 80s i feel very strongly about that uh in agreement with danimal on that one and i told you why uh, i believe that to be true and uh if you disagree let me know uh, hit me up on uh, Facebook. Let's talk about it or Twitter and see what we can squeeze into 140 characters there and, uh, you know, talk about that and uh, see where that conversation takes us and, um, you know, see how many of you agree with us uh, or us as in, and as in Dan Hampton and myself, how many of you disagree, how many of you agree and think that he might be right about that. So uh, go ahead, hit us up on, uh, on, on the Facebook. Just search Chicago Bears Review. You'll find the group uh, on Facebook. Don't feel, f- uh, feel free to go ahead and try to join up and i'll approve you so you can be in the group and uh or you can follow me on twitter at shy bears review chi bears review and uh you know go ahead and talk about it and see where uh see where that conversation gets us so that's gonna do it for now um down two down one to go evan western from acme packing company will be talking to him on saturday afternoon the show will either be out you know early saturday night or i'll save it until sunday maybe to give this this episode a little an extra day or two to breathe before we put the the next episode out and then tuesday we're talking to lauren cox from bears wire uh, on usa today to to preview the bears themselves and uh hear what he has to say about being excited about adding a quarterback going out and getting the guy or ryan pace going out and getting his guy and then see if he can convince me this is a good idea when i know that it isn't so uh look forward to having that conversation very much um next week to to wrap it all up and then we're on break a little mini hiatus, a little break for me. 
um, because once we start previewing or reviewing, I should say, once we start reviewing the uh, the uh, preseason games, it is balls to the wall until December 31st at least, knock on wood. So, uh, you know, from uh, from the first weekend in August all the way through the last day of the year, we will be busy doing these shows just once uh, after the games, just doing review episodes in the preseason and then twice a week review and preview throughout the rest of the season until it's uh, all said and done for the Bears in 2017. So uh, come on back on uh, Saturday, maybe Sunday at the latest for myself and Evan Western to preview the Packers as we close out the NFC North and get ready for training camp. So until then, my name is Larry D and this has been the Chicago Bears Review. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. 
Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.